Good morning. My name is Pastor Kevin Hauser, and welcome to Chinese Gospel Church. This is Sunday morning, June 14th, 2020. If you're visiting with us this morning, listening by the internet, I want to welcome you warmly in the name of our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to welcome especially as well our brothers and sisters in Christ from our sister church, Chinese Gospel Church in Scarborough. Welcome. I pray that it is your desire this morning to glorify the Lord, to worship him through the teaching of his word. Now, just before we start, I want to give a quick note that I will be moving the pastoral prayer to the end of the sermon so that uh, we can actually focus our time on the word of God. Our call to worship this morning comes from Exodus 15, verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we continue this morning in our worship of our Savior Jesus Christ. We have sung his praises and now we come to the teaching of your word. Lord, we ask that you would just intervene and have mercy upon us. Holy Spirit, we would pray that you would take this time and unleash the power of the word in us, that we would not simply understand, but that we would be transformed by it and live it out before the world. So continue to guide us and direct us. Lord, glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. The name of the sermon this morning is Walk Wisely in the Spirit. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. <clears throat> This is the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This morning, we come to the last of Paul's exhortations to walk or to live according to who we are in Christ. Paul has used this command walk five times to give contours to the to the beginnings of chapters four and five after focusing on the glory of the gospel of god's grace in forgiving us of our sins the inheritance that is now ours in jesus christ and the wonder that we are now one family of god comprised of all peoples everywhere who by faith believe in christ Paul has been exhorting us in the strongest possible way through these commands to walk or live out the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 1, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
in chapter 4, verse 13, verse 17, we are to walk according to the new self, that is, the renewed heart, the renewed mind, the renewed will that is ours. In chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we are to be imitators of God and to walk in love. Chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we're to walk as children of the light. And finally today, in verses 15 through 21 of chapter 5, we're to walk wisely by the Holy Spirit. Now, starting in verse 22, Paul's going to apply what this walking is supposed to look like in, in various areas of our personal life, like marriage. But before he gets there, he commands us one last time in a very specific manner. His emphasis in verses 15 through 21 is this. As God's people, we are to be vigilant and living wisely by the Spirit and doing the will of the Lord. And let me say that again. As God's people, we are to be vigilant and living wisely for the Holy Spirit and doing the will of the Lord. Now, driving on any of the 400 series of highways at any time, it, it's always a challenge, isn't it? You have to be at the top of your driving game, always alert, always vigilant and on guard. In the morning, everyone's trying to rush into work to be able to get there on time. In the evening, everyone is trying to get home as quickly as possible and, and spend as much quality time at home. At the best of times on any of these major highways, you have to deal with people who are weaving in and out of the lanes without putting their signals on distracted drivers who are drinking coffee, eating sandwiches, putting makeup on or singing at the top of their lungs. There's people who aren't just quite wide awake yet or people who are simply not paying attention. And my pet peeve are people who are driving slow in the fast lane. Now add to that seasonal construction with work crews, reduced speed limits, the sheer number of big trucks on the road, stunt drivers doing 180 kilometers per hour. Given the speeds that we're traveling at and how close we're following to one another, and looking at all the things that are going on around us, one small miscalculation, a delayed reaction, a sideways glance at a car going by, a poorly timed sneeze, any of these can cause a serious accident. Anyone traveling these highways needs to be vigilant, alert at all times. Now, that's the emphasis that the Apostle Paul is putting here on verse 15 when it comes to how we are to live our lives. Look carefully at how you live. Now, the word translated look here is to see, and it's obviously in a context of spiritual awareness, isn't it? We're to make sure that we're carefully guarding the way we live. Believe it or not, there are many verses in the Bible that call us to be watchful. In fact, many people consider it the lost discipline of our day. We'll talk about prayer and fasting, quiet time with the Lord, Bible reading amongst other things, but you'll hardly ever hear anyone talking about the spiritual discipline of watchfulness. To be watchful means to be spiritually vigilant. And to be vigilant means to be on guard. It's like a sentinel in the garrison of a castle. 
They must be vigilant. Or a, a warrior in a battle zone, they must be vigilant at all times. Now, the Puritan Richard Rogers defined watchfulness as the means whereby a godly life is helped and continued. Another one called it the whetstone of spiritual disciplines because it's the thing that keeps all of the others sharp. You know, the whetstone that you would take a knife and you would move it back and forth. It's the whetstone of all of the other spiritual disciplines. What Paul's telling us is that the regular habit of the Christian life should be to constantly examine our lives, our, our sinful tendencies, our habits, how the old self is continually wanting to pop out and lead us into sin or to worldliness. Well, what are those things around us that would desire to steal our passion for God? So we're to be on 24-7 alert and make sure that uh, how we live for God is truly a manner that is pleasing unto him. Now, a spiritual watchfulness is, is a lot like an alarm system that you'd have on a house. We had a good one in Markham, and we, we really miss it today. A good alarm system will have sensors, motion sensors on the windows, on the doors, in the rooms. Floodlights that will come on automatically at night. Cameras strategically replaced placed in different aspects of the house. It will have a loud alarm, a backup battery for when the power goes down, an automatic call system to emergency response. It'll even today have an app for your phone so you can turn it on and off things. All of these parts need to be working continually for the alarm to be effective. But what good is it if it's turned off? The Christian who is not watchful of his or her life will sooner than later find themselves not living a godly life. Why? Because their sinful tendencies will become the dominant way of living. The world will creep into their life and they will lose their passion for God. And here's the urgency of the situation. Paul says these days are evil. Now, that doesn't mean that they're as evil or corrupt as they could be. But what it does mean is that Satan is not going to stop at anything to try to defeat God's purposes and plans. His days are numbered. Christ is going to come soon and establish his eternal reign of righteousness. But here and now, he is trying his best to destroy the kingdom of God. And because of that, Christians must be vigilant. Unfortunately, I think many of us are like those homes that have warning stickers on the outside and monitored by, but the reality is the alarm has been disconnected. We've become complacent in our comfortable lives and materialism. We've become complacent about the power of Satan. We've become complacent about the imminent return of Christ. And we need to remember or learn again our desperate need for spiritual discipline or spiritual vigilance in every area of our life. Why? Because these days are evil. There is an ever-present danger. The manner of our walk or life, the regular ongoing practice, should be to vigilantly examine how we're living for God. But what does that mean practically? How do we measure if we are living in that way? 
Well, Paul the Apostle gives us three contrasts that actually tell us just that. He says we are to live wisely, live out the will of the Lord, and live by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first one, live wisely, we see in verses 15 and 16. A couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, we saw that by nature, unregenerate people walk first in the futility of their minds. That means that they can understand mechanically the world around them, how it basically functions, and they could know a million and one facts, but they're unable to discern God's purposes or plans. It also means, secondly, that their understanding is darkened, meaning that they're prevented from making godly decisions. Now, Paul takes these ideas and encapsulates them in what he calls unwise living. The unwise person is someone who, because they lack spiritual insight into the true nature of the world, is unable to make decisions that align with the purposes of God and ultimately are unable to bring glory to God. Because they lack that understanding, that perspective, they're not able to do that which glorifies God. They live their lives with worldly goals and objectives at the center of their decision-making process, with the self always being the greatest prime motivator of their will. And they live without regard for God. They live without regard for the law of God or God's word. The Christian, on the other hand, because they've experienced a spiritual transformation, that is, a renewing of the heart and the mind and the will, what we would call the rebirth, reborn, not only have the insight into the purposes and the will of God, but they're able to make choices that conform to God's will. We understand that God's desire is to unite all things in Christ. We understand that God's desire is to raise up a people who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and who desire to worship him. <coughs> we understand that it is God's desire to establish a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness shall reign forever around the throne of Christ. To live wisely then is to understand these grand purposes and to live them out in the world. This is the how of living carefully and being vigilant, walking in step with the Father's eternal plans, his desire to glorify himself in all things. But there's another aspect to living wisely that we need to see in this verse, and that's the manner or nature of wise living. And that involves what Paul says is making the best use of our time. I find it fascinating, actually, that Paul never tells us to fear these evil days. He never tells us to avoid these evil days. Rather, he says that we are to be wise and vigilant in how we live. And very specifically, we are to make the best of our time and our opportunities to intentionally further God's purposes in the world. The classical understanding of this world were to take advantage of was to redeem or to purchase. It comes from the slave market. If we are to contextualize it today, we might say something like this, to take advantage of every opportunity or to snap up every opening that comes our way. 
That means that we're to do the will of the Lord without delay. We're not to hesitate. We are to calculate how we are to turn every situation, every advantage for the gospel. It's something I think we all understand. We know where to share the gospel at every opportunity, don't we? In our marriages, however, do we do that? Do we snap up every opportunity to express the glory of God in the gospel? I know I don't. While you're at school, while you're at work, talking to your neighbors or buying groceries, do you redeem every opportunity for the glory of Christ? In the different times of your life, your stages or seasons, when you're happy, when you're losing your job, when you're sick, are we always looking to make the best of our time that God has given us? Again, the urgency is this, that the reality is these are evil days. Christ is coming, judgment is near, and the eternal destination of all things hang in the balance. The challenge for us is this. Living wisely means that we are to continually supplant the ordinary and the mundane with the tra uh, transcendent purposes of God to redeem every opportunity for Christ in my life and in the lives of others around me. Now, the second contrast Paul gives us that admonishes us, that Paul uses to admonish us and what it means to be watchful, we see in verse 17. And that is that we are not to be foolish, but to understand the will of the Lord. In the original, the actual warning is do not become foolish, which implies, obviously, that the Christian can become foolish, doesn't it? We can become careless in our conduct and the way we live our lives. And it starts with right perception. If we fail to see and understand the world as God sees it, we become foolish by living in a manner that is contrary to God's will. Now, a couple of months ago, I went to the ophthalmologist to have my eyes tested to get some new glasses. I don't know when the last time you had yours tested, but you have to sit in that seat and they bring this machine around to your face. It's called the Ferropter and they put your chin in and the eyes uh, in, in the, uh, the lenses and they go click, 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 which is better? Number one, number two. Well, as it turns out, I didn't need new driving glasses but I do need new reading glasses and I've noticed it over the last months that as I'm looking at things uh, things are fuzzier I can no longer just take the over-the-counter uh, prescriptions I, I have to actually have a prescription reading glasses that are just mine a Christian becomes foolish in the way they live when he or she loses sight of how God sees the world when God's purposes become fuzzy. And when that happens, they become undisciplined in the way they live. They embrace the ways of the world. They become comfortable with the ever-increasing tension of sin in their life. When we lose sight of God's purposes in the world, walking unwisely, then we become foolish. If, however, we continue to perceive the world from God's perspective, we'll understand what the Lord's will is and live in a manner that conforms to it and accomplishes it, which is really the point of what Paul's getting at here. 
Because wisdom is never simply knowing the truth. It's knowing and doing the truth. And this gets to the heart of Paul's second point. Because the days are evil, we are to make the best use of every opportunity that comes our way. We must always be vigilant in making sure that we are doing the will of the Lord. Now, this understanding, doing the will of the Lord, has two aspects. The first is the divine eternal purposes of God in salvation and redemption. And we've looked at that a little bit already. But the second one is this. How does God's eternal purposes intersect with my life? How do I look at the convergence of God's providence in my life and say, should I go to school? Where should I work? Who should I marry? Understanding and doing the will of the Lord means that we're to be careful in giving consideration to what God's desire is in every situation that comes our way. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's hard, we are always to seek God's desire, God's will. As Christians, we rely on the word of God for precepts for life, don't we? Unfortunately, there's not a scripture verse for every situation or every contingency. And that leads us to Paul's third perspective or aspect of what it means to be vigilant and to be careful in how we live. We are to comprehend the word of God, how are, or the will of God. How are we to comprehend the will of God? By being continually filled by the Holy Spirit. When Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's not making a prohibition against the odd drink, is he? He's drawing a comparison between someone who was under the control of alcohol and someone who was under the control of the Holy Spirit. Making it our regular habit to become intoxicated, to surrender our mind, our actions to the influence of alcohol, is the action of an unwise or foolish person, isn't it? Why? Because Paul says this leads to debauchery. The more someone drinks, the more their vision and their cognition becomes impaired. They lose their ability to think and to reason properly. They lose their inhibitions and they start acting in foolish or stupid ways. You just have to go out onto Dundas Street on a Friday or a Saturday night to see the whole range of intoxication. People doing things that they would never even contemplate if they hadn't been drinking. Someone is intoxicated, or someone who is intoxicated, has thrown off restraint, hasn't they? They've relinquished control and responsibility. The Christian, however, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to give ourselves over to Him hand over control of our lives to him so that he can empower us. This experience of filling, of being filled with the Spirit, is not what we know as the indwelling of the Spirit when we first come to Jesus Christ. It's also not what some would say is a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit. But what we're talking about here is a deep sense of God's abiding presence. It abounds in our hearts, in our minds. It fills us with peace and joy. 
Now, I want you to notice something about this verb to be filled. It's kind of important. The first, first of all, you notice that it's in the present tense. It's describing something that is an ongoing, continuous action. So it is part of our daily experience. This sense of the abiding presence of God can ebb and flow in our life, and we are commanded to be continually filled on a daily basis. The second thing we need to see here is that it's a passive voice. It, it describes something that's happening to us, isn't it? it? Paul doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. It's be filled with the Spirit. Thirdly, it's a command. It's an ongoing experience that we are commanded to receive. Be filled. This is not an option for the Christian. So uh, I have to receive this infilling, and yet I am commanded to receive it. How, how can that be? When I take our dog, Jack, outside, I can tell him to sit or to shake a paw. It's something that he has been trained to do, so he's physically able to do it. But here we're commanded to be filled. I, I, I'm not in control. How can I do this? Well, the answer lies in Colossians 3, in a parallel passage to this, where Paul brings in the ideas, or we'll look at in a second, of teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and spiritual songs. He says, this can be done as you are filled, in verse 16, by letting the word of God dwell in you richly. How are we to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? By letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Instead of imbibing alcohol, we are to imbibe the Word of God. Now, a man under the influence of alcohol acts out in such a way that demonstrates or shows the influence, doesn't it? So, too, a Christian shows the influence they're under by how they live. And that's why it's so important for us to understand our desperate need to be continually filled on a daily basis with the Holy Spirit. We're called to be vigilant and careful in how we live, making sure that we're living by the Spirit because it's the Spirit who empowers us to live a life that is pleasing unto God. In verses 19 through 21, Paul gives us four characteristics of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, four evidences of a Spirit-filled life. Number one, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Number two, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Number three, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you were to take a moment and examine your life this morning, how many of these characteristics would you, would you say reflect your present experience with the Lord? If these are evidences of being continually filled with the, Spirit, with the Spirit, of continually experiencing that filling, we should always be able to use these as a litmus test to discern whether we are truly living a life by the Spirit. And this gets to the heart of Paul's admonition again in verse 15. We are to be vigilant about how we live our lives, to make sure that we are walking by the Spirit. If we're not walking by the Spirit, 
than we're walking as a drunkard. Now, in, in case some of us may think, well, is it really that important that I experience the daily filling of the Spirit? Let's take Paul's contrast one step farther. Suppose when we start back to full services, you notice that as I get onto the platform, I, I have to hold tight to the pulpit. I, I look a little under the weather. I, I can't hold my Bible steady. And my speech is just ever so slightly slurred. Would that be acceptable? Or perhaps as you're standing in the pew singing, you notice that the person close to you is, can't follow the words on the screen. They're swaying ever so slightly. And when you say hi to them at the end of the service, you notice the smell of alcohol on their breath. What a scandal that would cause. Brothers or sisters in Christ, the pastor, under the influence of alcohol, intoxicated? And yet, each day we come together to worship, our hearts are not filled with the joy of the Lord. We're angry with God or we're dissatisfied with our lives. We have no desire to sing or worship, choosing instead to, sit, to stand there and, and simply mouth the words. We come and do our thing and then quickly leave and, and we don't have any desire to interact with one another. This is the reality of thousands of Christians today, not just in church, but throughout the week. They're not experiencing the continual filling of the Spirit. And that means that they're not being empowered to live for Christ. I want to ask you, which is worse? A drunkard stumbling down the street because he's under the influence of alcohol? Or a Christian stumbling through life because he's not under the influence of the Holy Spirit? If indeed the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life pleasing unto God, as men who are wise in the Lord, as women who are wise in the Lord, we need to redeem our time. We need to understand and do the will of God. And we should take seriously Paul's admonition that we must be vigilant in how we live, to walk wisely, to do the will of God, and to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember one beautiful, cool fall day in Texas. Thousands of flocks are, of birds are flying together. And I just go out for a drive near the bay where we are. And I had been out there many times before. I remember being very close to this one place and going out into the blackberry patch and, and picking berries and being there for a long time. Well, this one day in, in the fall, I just stopped at the side of the road near the water and I took one step off the, the shoulder into the grass and I was literally centimeters away from a copperhead. It's a pit viper. Now, it, it, its bite isn't usually deadly, but it can create illness and, and problems. But worse than that, it's only one of many different poisonous snakes that you find in Texas. And the reality was, is, is I was oblivious to the danger. I was oblivious to the danger that it posed to my life. Paul says, we need to understand our days are evil. 
We need to be vigilant in how we live for God. We need to we need to do the will of God. We need to walk wisely and we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray this morning that you are challenged by this and that you will make the first step on that road to continually desiring to be filled with the Spirit. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for your word, for the salvation that you have given us, for the work of the Holy Spirit in making it alive in us. Lord, we recognize that all too often we are very blasé about the way we live. Here in North America, we have, we have become so nonchalant not expecting that there is a danger, not thinking that we need to redeem our time, not thinking of the imminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We would long for that, and when something happens to us, we, we come unto you, but Lord, we need to cultivate this sense of vigilance, this sense of being watchful over our life. Forgive us this, Lord, this, this day, Lord, for the things that we have not been vigilant over this week for the sins that we have allowed to enter into our life for the worldliness that has captivated our hearts and our minds for simply not being focused on christ in all things and giving praise to you in all situations and we thank you though that as we come to you as we seek forgiveness as we we demonstrate a broken and contrite heart that, Lord, you will receive us, that our repentance will be acceptable unto you because it, we come by the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray for our churches, Chinese Gospel Church, downtown and in Scarborough. I pray that you would continue to make us a light on a hill, that you would help us, Lord God, to understand the great and awesome burden that you have put upon us to be salt and light in a dead and dying world. But you have not left us alone. You are with us, guiding us and leading us. The question is whether we are being filled by your spirit to do your will. But Lord, you have done great and wonderful things over 50 years and we have great hopes and aspirations that you will continue to do that in and through us. We pray for our congregation, Lord God, for those who are weary, who are exhausted, who are showing signs of fatigue because of COVID-19, of having to be in our homes 24-7, uh, lockdown almost at times. Um, Lord, I pray that you will give us love and compassion and, and care for our fan friends and our family. I pray for those on the front lines who continue the battle against uh, COVID and, and that you would give them strength, uh, that they will not grow weary and that in their service uh, to the people that they, they would demonstrate a love for Christ that would just pervade all that they are and all that they do. I do pray as well, Lord God, that you would uh, just help us as a people to understand the realities of the social unrest, the 
the concerns of racial injustice in our society, that you would use us uh, to be instruments of peace in the communities where we live. We may not be able to change the world, but we can change um, the hearts and understanding of those around us with the gospel. Help us, I pray, to redeem even this opportunity for the glory of Christ. I pray for the reopening of our churches, Lord God, now that starting this weekend, we can start to see 30% uh, of our congregation come back, but there are so many dimensions and realities of our buildings, of who we are, how we structure services. We need your wisdom, Lord God, in how to do this. We need your understanding. And Lord God, I pray that as we make the steps forward, that you would just empower us with a holy desire to worship you, a holy compassion for the world around us to reach them for Christ. And, and with that, I pray for our missionaries, Lord God, for those who are still in the field, who have decided to remain there during this time, or the ones who are even back here who see this as a time of retooling and preparing to go out again. Lord, these are men and women, families who have laid aside the privileges of our culture, the the, uh, the, the privileges of, of who of what we have here to be able to serve you in situations that many times are challenging. I pray that you will be with them today in a very special way, that they would know the love of Christ and that they too, as they prepare and look forward to how you will open doors, they will give you praise and glory in all things. Lord, I give you thanks for this morning, for the chance to be able to be together, even if it is by internet, to be together as one, to be together as a family, to worship and glorify our Savior Jesus Christ. As we continue to go throughout our week, serving and working, may the words that we have heard this morning continue to resonate in our heart. And Holy Spirit, may you continue to Work them out in our lives. Help us to be diligent, to be vigilant, to examine our lives so that we are truly living for Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning as you go, may the grace and the peace of God go before you. Amen.